welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 91. My name is Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing Halo Infinite's campaign, plus checking out Cyberpunk 2077, one year on from its disastrous release. I'm also going to be rounding up the Game Awards 2021 in terms of the big winners, plus look ahead to Sifu, and also looking back at some of the games you may have missed in 2021. So as always, it is a packed show, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Now, I'm good this week, and it's been a busy week in the world of video games with the Game Awards this week. So in terms of the show itself, it was pretty long and it dragged a bit. I don't really think it lived up to the promises of Jeff Keighley, with him saying before the show there was going to be four to five Elden Ring level announcements. Well, I'm going to bring you a roundup of the results later on in the show. Well, this week I'm going to be looking back at some of the games you may have missed in 2021, some indie hidden gems given we're approaching the Game of the Year list coming in the next few weeks, and I'm going to be running through my Game of the Year on the next episode of the podcast. I'm also going to be looking ahead as well as looking back. I'm going to be looking ahead to Sifu, and this one is a Kung Fu-style 3D brawler. Looks like a load of fun, and that one is coming in early 2022. Well, without further delay, let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, first up this week, I've been playing Halo Infinite's campaign, and this one released this past Tuesday. And finally, we've got the second half of the game with the campaign, given the multiplayer was released a few weeks early. Well, the campaign is really, really good fun, and I'll bring you my thoughts on that first up in the show. Well, I've also been going back and checking out Cyberpunk 2077, one year on from the initial release, which by all accounts was pretty much a disaster all round, you know. It's been patched so many times, and I finally re-downloaded the game and wanted to give it a proper playthrough. And I'm really happy to report it's really, really good. I'm going to be running through my review of that later on in the show. Well, finally today, I've been checking out Bungie's 30th anniversary in Destiny 2. They are having a massive in-game celebration, and they brought back loads of Halo-inspired weapons in an unofficial crossover. So there's a new six-person activity with a new dungeon, and we're all celebrating the history of Bungie with references to Marathon, Myth, Halo, and of course, the Destiny franchise. Well, before we get stuck into it today, I wanted to plug the podcast Patreon, and you can send in your questions and your stories for community questions by signing up to Patreon. So for as little as $2 a month, you can sign up to become a patron where you can access exclusive Discord rooms, send in your questions and your comments to be read out on the This Week in Video Games podcast, and you can access exclusive content and get early access too. There's plenty of benefits over there at Patreon, plus you get to support the show and help This Week in Video Games become a little bit more self-sufficient. With my shameless plug of Patreon out of the way, let's get into my first review of the week, and first of all, it's going to be Halo Infinite. Halo Infinite's campaign was released this week, a few weeks after the multiplayer mode, which was delivered early as part of Xbox's and Halo's 20th birthday celebrations. Now, Halo's new campaign manages to navigate the legacy of great Halo games while pushing the series forward, introducing an open world. Now, it's got a strong opening third, albeit a little bit stodgy in the middle, but then it builds up to a great finish, and 343 had to make trade-offs with the introduction of the open world, which includes less tailored classic campaign moments, plus co-op isn't there at the start. However, this is balanced out by the sheer amount of freedom 
that Halo Infinite offers. You know, it is a solid entry to the series, although I wouldn't put it right at the top. Well, in the opening moments, Master Chief is seen fighting against the Banished, and he gets a beatdown and thrown into space. Well, later, he's collected by a UNSC pilot, and is saved and sets upon finding out what's happened while he's been out. Well, the Banished, they're running rampant, and the Chief collects his new AI, called the Weapon, given Cortana is now gone. And we're introduced to the Zeta Halo Ring, which acts as our main play space for Halo Infinite, and this one is a relatively large open-world map, where we take back UNSC bases from the Hand of the Banished. So we're not immediately dropped into the open world, and 343 most likely wanted to ease us in gently with the first few hours of gameplay. They're set in classic close quarters, tightly scripted gameplay sequences, which really nod back to the classic Halo campaigns. But once we've got a grip on who we're fighting, we pick up our new buddies, and then it's off to the open world of Zeta Halo. You know, one thing you'll notice immediately from Halo Infinite are the new tools that Chief has been given to navigate the sandbox. Primarily, this includes the grapple shot, which by this time you'll have most likely played around with in multiplayer. So this is a fun differential, which allows you to either attack or escape from enemies, and here in the campaign it's much more, so you've got a verticality to the levels, which wouldn't be possible to navigate without the grapple shot. And the opening environments range from damaged spacecraft to classic sci-fi style environments, and navigating these with a grapple shot is very, very satisfying indeed, and also essential, you know, not only can you climb high, but you can also grab weapons from your enemies too. Another new element that we're introduced early on to are the mini-bosses. So these are banished with bigger health bars, often shields that offer up a challenge when it comes to combat. And there's still plenty of Halo battles we're going to run in, face off against a series of enemies, pick up their weapons and use whatever it takes to clear out the zones. But these new mini-bosses have smart AI behind them, and they're going to hide from your attacks, advance on you when you're weak, and they're really tough to kill as well. It's a great example of 343 taking the Halo formula and adding in a little something extra and bringing this game up to modern standards. Well, Halo Infinite feels like a mesh of the best of Halo Combat Evolved and also Halo 3. So you've got the classic look of Halo Combat Evolved and the great feeling of Halo 3. And 343 have added hygiene factors in there like the ability to mantle on edges, running, also aim down sights, things that brought with them a massive negative backlash when implemented in Halo 4 and Halo 5. You know, this time it feels like the audience is much more accepting of these features, given they're pretty much standard in many FPS games in 2021. So once you get through the first few hours, which could be seen as the tutorial area in Halo Infinite, then you're dropped onto Zeta Halo, and the open world is yours to explore. There's a sense of Breath of the Wild here with the physics, Related to the grapple, being able to fling yourself across the map. There's a great clip out there going around at the moment with the player exploding a warthog, then using a grapple to slingshot themselves across the map. It's just one great example of what can be achieved with the physics in the sandbox here. Yeah, much like Link could in Breath of the Wild with his abilities, we're going to be finding interesting ways to navigate this map for months to come. Well, the Zeta Halo ring is full of encounters and bases for Master Chief to take back. So you've got the Banished Strongholds and the UNSC Forward Operating Bases, or the FOBs for short. You've got to clear them out and reclaim them. The main issue I found with these missions is that after a short while, the gameplay feels a little bit repeated, and it does get a little bit repetitive. Now, I'm used to running strikes again and again in Destiny, although there I've got the loot as a character keep playing. 
So we've got the upgrades in Halo Infinite, and although these are good and useful, I didn't really find myself motivated to go from one to another and maintain my level of motivation all the way through the campaign. I felt the campaign stagnated a little bit in the middle, even though the start and the end were fantastic. So there are some restrictions on where you can go right at the start, and you do have to unlock the new zones to progress. So this does a couple of things. It helps you not be confused as what to do and where to go immediately, and it also gives you that Halo campaign structure of sorts. So a big drawback of the Zeta Halo ring is there isn't really much differentiation in the terrain. We don't have a snow area or a sand area. It's all pretty much the same from when you got dropped onto Zeta Halo. At the start, you've got green grass, the trees, a blue sky, and that is pretty much it. Well, in terms of the story itself, it's pretty good. You know, I don't really think it lives up to the high bar set in the early Halo games. So with Bungie's Combat Evolved, Halo 2, Halo 3, ODST, and Reach. So Reach is probably the pinnacle of Halo campaigns, even though the multiplayer in that game wasn't the best. You know, Halo Infinite represents a step forward in terms of storytelling from Halo 4 and Halo 5, which is a good achievement for 343. So Halo 4 and Halo 5 went off track a little bit too much, with 343 trying to make Halo their own, and they did make a few missteps. But here, they've managed to walk that tightrope of a familiar-feeling Halo while imprinting their own personality onto the series. Regarding the gameplay in Halo Infinite, taking back the bases are key and central to the gameplay, and once you capture one of these, then a bunch of new things are going to open up on the map. Plus, there's a series of upgrades you can collect to improve Chief's armor and abilities too. So this includes bolstering your shields, and then you can add extra effects to the grapple shot, which includes electrocuting your enemies on the hit, which is very, very useful indeed. So completing the open world objectives gives you valor points, and you can unlock weapons and vehicles that can be immediately summoned from the fobs. You can also use reclaimed bases to fast travel around the map, which is essential later on, as you're going to be zipping all over the map, and it's going to save you valuable time. Well, Halo Infinite does really well with offering you a sense of freedom in your gameplay, which has been lacking since the Bungie era of Halo games ended. So given the open nature of Zeta Halo, you have much less scripted corridor battles, and they are a place with skirmishes out there in the wild. But one aspect of Halo Infinite I really enjoyed when compared to something like Destiny 2, so rather than having a single loadout of guns and you just keep using them over and over again, I do like the fact that you can finish up enemies, pick up their weapons and use them against other enemies. This means I don't really get too attached to my shotgun or my battle rifle, you know, I'm having to use the full array of weapons in the game, and this offers a variety in a sense that you've got to use anything and everything to survive. If I had a choice, I probably wouldn't use the carbine, but seeing as my AR ran out of bullets, I guess I'm going to have to use everything. So it was always going to be a tall order for 343 to create a winner with Halo Infinite. The game was delayed by a year, missing the Xbox Series X launch, and although it's shipped in Halo Infinite branded boxes, all the same, you know, it demonstrates how close this decision was. So with hindsight, I think it was a good decision, because here we have a polished, high-quality Halo game, you know, it's unfortunate that co-op is missing from the launch lineup, and apparently we're not going to see that until next May, at the very, very earliest. But saying that, the campaign is good fun, and it adds a whole load of new features like the open world, new boss battles, loads of weapons, and the story is pretty good and entertaining as well. As mentioned, the game slows down in the middle, but push through that and you've got a satisfying ending waiting for you. So when you put the two parts together with the campaign and the multiplayer Halo Infinite, offers up a great package that speaks to the hardcore Halo fans, as well as inviting a whole new audience through its free-to-play tier. 
you know, I think 343 have a Halo game that they can be proud of. Well, the game was developed by 343 Studios. It was published by Microsoft Game Studios. It's released on Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, and PC, and it was originally released on the 8th of December, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Halo Infinite's campaign. But next up, let's check out the winners of the Game Awards 2021. Well, the Game Awards is a bit of a strange event. It's kind of half marketing, half awards, to be honest, with a big focus on the marketing. And the main show did run for about three and a half hours. It was really, really long. And we did get quite a lot of focus on the reveals. And I think Jeff Keighley hyped up the reveals a little bit too much. He did say there was going to be four or five Elden Ring quality reveals. I'm not really sure it really lived up to it. But let's dive into the winners of the Game Awards themselves. So first of all, we've got Best Sports and Racing Game. That was Forza Horizon 5. Slightly criminal that it wasn't that full game of the year. It was a fantastic game this year, although it did take the Best Sports and Racing Game. Well, next up, we got the Best Sim and Strategy Game, and that one was taken by Age of Empires 4. Next up, we got the Best Family Game, and that one was It Takes Two. We got the Best Fighting Game, and that was Guilty Gear Strive, and that was a really good winner this year. Clearly, the Best Fighting Game of the year and I'm glad the awards reflected that. So next up, we had Most Anticipated Game. That one was won by Elden Ring, and that one is coming out in February 2022. Really, really looking forward to that one. So next up, we have Best Role-Playing Game. Again, deserved winner here with Tales of Arise. And then we got Best Action Adventure Game, and that one was won by Metroid Dread. Next up, it was Best Action Game, and this one was won by Returnal. Again, a bit of a strange omission for Game of the Year with Returnal. That was an absolutely fantastic game although that was only available on PS5, and you don't have to wonder how many PS5s are out there with all of the supply issues going on all around the world. Next up, we had Content Creator of the Year. That one was won by Dream. And then we got Best AR and VR Game. That one was won by Resident Evil 4 VR. Best Indie Debut Game went to Kenner Bridge of Spirits, and Best Community Game was won by Final Fantasy XIV. There was a massive hype around Final Fantasy XIV, of course, Endwalker released in the last couple of weeks, and I am really looking forward to jumping into Final Fantasy XIV myself over the Christmas period. Well, next up, we got Best Mobile Game. That was won by Genshin Impact. And then we got Best Independent Game, another win for Kenner Bridge of Spirits. That was absolutely fantastic. So Ember Labs, the developer behind the game, that was their first game. And to run away with Best Debut Indie Game and also Best Independent Game, I think that's absolutely fantastic, although Inscription would have run it a very, very close second. So in terms of games for impact, the winner there was Life is Strange 2 Colours, and then Innovation in Accessibility, we had Forza Horizon 5. So Forza Horizon 5 won again for Best Audio Design, and then we got Best Score and Music, and that was won by Near Replicant. For Best Art Direction, that was Deathloop and Best Ongoing Game, that was Final Fantasy XIV, and then Best Multiplayer was It Takes Two, and I can attest to that, I've been playing through that with my wife recently, and it's an absolutely fantastic game. So best performance, that was Maggie Robertson for Lady Dimitrescu, and that was from Resident Evil Village. And then best narrative, that went to Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. So best game direction went to Deathloop, and then we got the big one. It was Game of the Year, and that one went to It Takes Two. So that one was quite a surprising Game of the Year pick. I think it's absolutely fantastic and a fully deserved winner. Although reading the reports, listening to people talk about It Takes Two, you know, it's a really hot and cold game. You either really, really like it, or you really, really don't like it. 
But the fact that they won Game of the Year, that's going to really reframe It Takes Two in the context of 2021. And hopefully many more people are going to play It Takes Two. Well, that is it for my look at the Game of the Year winners in 2021. But next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. So at number 10 this week, up one place from last week's number 11, it's Pokemon Shining Pearl. At number 9 this week, up one place from last week's number 10, it's Mario Party Superstars. At number 8 this week, down three places from last week's number 5, it's Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. At number 7 this week, down four places from last week's number 3, it's Minecraft. At 6 this week, up two places from last week's number 8, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. And at number 5 this week, up two places from last week's number 7, it's Just Dance 2022. And number four this week, up two places from last week's number six, it's Pokemon Brilliant Diamond. And number three this week, up one place from last week's number four, it's Call of Duty Vanguard. And number two this week, down one place from last week's number one, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And number one this week, back at number one, up one place from last week's number two, it's FIFA 22. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts, but next up, let's check out my review one year later of Cyberpunk 2077. Well, I gave up on Cyberpunk 2077 shortly after release. I pre-ordered it, played it on day one, and it was pretty much unplayable on my hardware. The bugs were just too much for me, making it unplayable. However, it is a year since the initial launch, and it's now in a much better state than it was then, so I re-downloaded the game recently, and I haven't been able to put it down since. You know, much has been said about Cyberpunk 2077, and a lot has happened in the years since it first came out. You know, at first, reviewers weren't allowed to show captured footage of the game. They were only permitted to show the B-roll that CD Projekt Red provided. And we soon found out why. The game wasn't in a good state on consoles, eventually leading it to being pulled from the PlayStation Store, only for it to be reinstated months later. On lower-end PCs, it wasn't much better, and you pretty much had to have an expensive, state-of-the-art PC rig to play the game at all. Now, it's really a shame that the launch panned out the way it did because under all the bugs and nonsense of the launch, there's a really great game there waiting to be played. So the main campaign is fairly short, coming in at around the lower or mid-20 hours, but that isn't taking into account the numerous side quests, and the side quests are really rich in the storytelling, and any one of them could be in the main campaign story. So if you sat on Cyberpunk 2077 for all this time, you know then many of the bugs have been patched out and numerous quality-of-life upgrades have been added, and what we're left now is an enjoyable roller coaster of an RPG in a rich and vibrant world that is begging to be explored. So you play as V, a mercenary who lives in Night City. You can also start off at three points. So a street kid, a corpo, or a nomad. So I'm going to be describing the game from the perspective of the street kid, although I think over time I'd like to go back and play through as the other life choices. You know, the game is just that compelling. You know, early on you team up with your friend Jackie Wells and pull off a series of small-time jobs before getting sucked into what they call the big time. Unfortunately, they witness a murder of the owner of one of the main corporations who dominate Nice City when they're trying to steal a chip. So V has to stash the chip in his head to keep it safe, and the image of terrorist Johnny Silverhand, played by Keanu Reeves, is put in there with it. And Johnny Silverhand's image is programmed to take over the new host body, meaning V will slowly be deleted so it's a race against time to find a way to stop this from happening, all while unravelling the mysteries of Night City. 
Well, the story in Cyberpunk 2077 is compelling, full of action, but also full of quieter moments packed full of character development. It takes a few hours to get past the introduction to the point where you can venture out on your own and pick your own path, but there's a clear main story campaign, and you can beeline this and power your way through the game if you want to, but there are benefits of taking your time and getting to know the world around you. So I think if you mainline the story, then you get two to three options for the end of the game, but if you invest in meeting others, branching out, then this expands into five separate endings, including the secret one. So I was really impressed with the dense nature of Night City. It's one of the most immersive worlds I've played, packed full of characters, people chatting, characters seemingly living their own lives. You know, I walked out of my apartment at one point only to find the cops banging on the door of one of my neighbours, demanding he come out and let them know if he was okay. You know, I don't know if he was a fellow cop, but the whole interaction seemed really natural, so it felt deeper than most, if not all video game interactions, that I'd had before. Well, Cyberpunk 2077 is played from the first person, which is a big factor in terms of how immersive the game feels. So when you're interacting with the weird and wonderful characters in the game, you're doing so from your perspective, looking through V's eyes. So there's many an occasion where you're wielding a gun and the game moves into first-person shooter mode. However, first and foremost, this is an RPG with elements of first-person shooting. So the FPS features of the game aren't quite good enough to be the central mechanic. You know, don't get me wrong, the shooting feels pretty good, but it does feel off when compared to the masters of FPS like Destiny 2 or Apex Legend or the new kid on the block, Halo Infinite. Structurally, Cyberpunk 2077 is pretty different from other RPGs. The main questline can be focused on, but before too long you can branch out into one of the many side quests and get lost down a path. The side quests are of such quality, it feels a little bit strange to call them side quests. You know, the game does such a great job of distracting you with these quests as well, given you have a phone and multiple quest givers are simply falling over themselves, calling you constantly, offering you work, as your reputation starts to grow in Night City. Yeah, it's well worth jumping into the side stories. The characters in Cyberpunk 2077 are rich, offering great complimentary stories, and they're going to make your playthrough really, really enjoyable. It's a really ambitious approach to the game design, offering you a dense sandbox full of different directions and paths to travel. Thematically, everything is pulled together really well in the Cyberpunk overarching story and world, so side missions don't really ever feel out of place or tacked on. So at times, the game can feel a little bit like Grand Theft Auto, but from a first-person perspective. You're going to hop into a car, drive around the city, come across some thugs trying to mug an unsuspecting passerby, only for you to go in there and finish off a gang with a shotgun. Beware local cops, though, as they're going to come down on you thick and fast with force. You know, the scale of Night City is hard to comprehend until you get in there and explore. So you've got the corporate playground with tall skyscrapers, you've got slums and the homeless, outskirt deserts and green parts to discover. You know, the verticality of the play space is huge too, with Night City carved into many layers for you to discover, you've got above ground and underground as well. So it's bright, it's neon, it's brash, full of advertisements, sex and violence. It's overwhelming, but it's often beautiful as well. So it's easy to see why the game was in development for so many years, and I'm fortunate that it came out a little hot. Looking past the action part of the game and peeling back the first-person shooter layer, you've got a complex and deep RPG full of choice, so action set pieces are built up through the quieter moments in conversation where we get to know characters through our perspective and player choice is often spoken about in marketing for games but here player choice is front and center and has a massive impact on your playtime in cyberpunk 2077 
from speaking to NPCs, setting up V to go into battle and choosing how you want to go into a fight. So all guns blazing, stealthy hacker, sit back and snipe, or you can use your charm. Cyberpunk 2077 is a gaming experience that offers a deep and meaningful interaction, complex storytelling, and is full of genuinely thrilling set pieces. The choices you make early on in the game is going to impact your playthrough later, and it may not be immediate and sometimes maybe 20 hours after you made that decision. However, know that your dialogue and choices and your actions have consequences in the world of Night City. I'm definitely here for it. So there isn't your traditional class system in Cyberpunk 2077, so instead you invest your points in different attributes to take V in the direction you want to take them. This includes body, intelligence, reflexes, technical and also cool. Investing in these different systems unlocks vastly different playstyles, which you can respec at a cost at any time. So if you do want to experiment, then you can. Investing in body means you can wield heavier weapons. Intelligence allows V to become a master of hacking, whereas cool can prevent enemies from detecting you. The system is super flexible and definitely promotes experimentation. So combat is really, really good fun. Even though it's not a core first-person shooter, it certainly has the guns to compete with the best of them, so the guns have a weight to them, and although controlling V in the battlefield doesn't feel quite right, although I think it can be overlooked given the sheer scale of the game. The combat in the game is merely the starter, it's the RPG and the interactions with the other characters that make the game truly memorable. So I tried Cyberpunk 2077 when it first came out, and it really didn't perform well, you know. I don't have a state-of-the-art PC with the latest hardware, but I haven't come across a game that broke as badly as Cyberpunk 2077 in those first few weeks. Characters were clipping through environments, textures were missing, and all these issues distracted me too much from the narrative. You know, what makes the game special are these narrative moments, and if you're constantly being distracted, these moments aren't going to hit you as they should. Now, 12 months later, with hopefully the worst behind them, CD Projekt Red has a fantastic RPG, and yes, mistakes were made, the game shouldn't have launched on consoles in the state it did, and the game should have been in development until at least summer 2021, to come out in the state the game is now with a 1.3.1 update. So we do have the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X versions hopefully coming in the first quarter of 2022, and that would be a great way to play if the game comes out as intended, you know, I've been playing on PC where the game has been getting multiple patches over time, and I'd say at the moment that is probably the best place to play until we have confirmation of the console versions working as intended. So, so if CD Projekt Red can get the game right on consoles, so this could be a really big hit in 2022. And I for one hope the game gets the credit it's due, because under the horrible launch and the mountain of bugs, a fantastic game is waiting to be discovered and played. So I'm sure like many people, they either had a bad experience at launch or heard about the many bugs and were put off by Cyberpunk 2077. So I can happily say the gameplay is much better now, allowing me to enjoy the wonderful and often thrilling story, the rich world, and interact with the multiple meaningful characters. So if you've been sitting on the fence, I'd say get off the fence because you can pick it up pretty cheap right now, and I would check out Cyberpunk 2077. You definitely won't regret it. So the developer and the publisher was CD Projekt Red, it's available on the PS4, Xbox One, Google Stadia, and PC. Well, that is it for my review of Cyberpunk 2077. Actually, there's a really good game there waiting to be played. But trying out a launch, it was really, really tough. Just so many issues at launch, but now it's looking really, really good. Well, that is it for now for Cyberpunk. But next up, I've got 10 games you may have missed in 2021.
So we're approaching the season of best of lists of the year, and video games is no different. So the top lists of the year are likely to be dominated by the big hitters, like Deathloop, Psychonauts 2, Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart, and Resident Evil Village. However, 2021 has been a fantastic year for games, and today I really want to share some games that you may have missed, but should definitely check out before the year is up. Well, first of all, we've got Chicory, A Colourful Tale. So this one is a top-down RPG-like adventure game where you've got to restore colour to an otherwise black and white world. With a mystical paintbrush, and in terms of gameplay, you've got a core mechanic of painting, but there's also the puzzles to solve as well. You've got cute NPCs to talk to and boss fights to have. So the game deals with some pretty hard-hitting topics in a really balanced way, plus you've got loads of personalization that you can imprint on the main protagonist, like hats and shirts, and they offer up another canvas to allow you to express yourself. So Chicory, A Colourful Tale, was developed by Greg Lobanoff, a shell on the pit, and it's available for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, as well as PC and Mac and also Nintendo Switch. Well, next up we got Loop Heroes. So Loop Heroes is a game that's quite tricky to fit into one genre, it's got elements of roguelike deck building RPG and also auto battling that come together in a really, really satisfying way. Loop Hero does what it says on the tin. You are a hero who travels in a constant loop, battling and building up your stats as you go. So rather than the traditional method of controlling the hero in the game, you look down on the loop from above and place tiles and select weapons and items for your hero, which helps generate materials and other power-ups. So Loop Hero gave me big nightmare vibes a show from the 1980s on ITV here in the UK, and it's a game that manages to get its hooks into you quite quickly, and in turn, that makes the time just fly by. So Loop Hero was developed by Four Quarters and is available on PC, Mac, Linux, and also Nintendo Switch. Well, next up, we got a recent one, and this one is Unpacking. So Unpacking is perhaps the most zen-like game I've played this year. This is a game that tells a story in a non-traditional way. So rather than have a character talk to other characters in the game, to communicate who they are and what they do. The story developments here are done entirely through taking a person's possessions out of boxes and placing them in various rooms all throughout a lifetime. So moving is something that we can all relate to and unpacking manages to remove all the stress and create a fun experience from unpacking and placing items around various rooms. So unpacking was developed by Witchbeam and is available on Nintendo Switch, Mac, Linux, Windows PC, Xbox One, Xbox Series S and X, Plus, it's also available on Xbox Game Pass. Well, next up, we've got one of my favourites of the year, and this one is Wildermyth. So this one is a tactics-focused RPG with a procedural narrative. So at the heart of the game is a combination of two game genres, a deep and rich RPG experience where your choices shape the narrative combined with a satisfying tactics battle system. Well, this is all wrapped up in a dynamic commentary art style which complements the gameplay perfectly well. The core gameplay is an XCOM-style two-turn tactics combat system, which is easy to pick up and play, but hard to master. But the writing in Wildermyth is some of the best I've seen in 2021, and when paired with the procedural nature of the game, it should make that much harder, and Wildermyth executes it really, really well, and each element of the game comes together nicely to provide a well-rounded D&D-like gaming experience. Well, Wildermyth was developed by Worldwalker Games, and is available for PC, Mac, and also Linux too. Well, next up we got Grime, and Grime is a Metroidvania Souls-like that combines platforming, action, and plenty of secrets. So you're going to level up, find new items, and be able to get to new areas as you progress. Your enemies, they're challenging, and you've got a variety of weapons to take them down. Weapons include swords, clubs, and daggers in all different shapes and forms, and as well as your weapon, there's a really good parry mechanic 
which utilises the black hole in your head. So if you like games like Ori and Hollow Knight, it's well worth checking out Grime. So Grime was developed by Clover Byte and it's available on PC, Mac and also Google Stadia too. Well next up we got Cyber Shadow. So Cyber Shadow is an action platformer that harks back to the days of 8-bit games, both in graphical style and also in its difficulty as well. So it takes inspiration from the classic 2D side-scrolling action, tricky platforming and precise, and precision moves, and the gameplay in Cyber Shadow is definitely inspired by Ninja Gaiden. You know, it's your job to navigate the world armed with only a sword, and to begin with, use jumps and dodges, and the attacks to remove the enemies from your path. Cyber Shadow eases you in nice and gentle on the first level, but then the difficulty really ramps up as you get past the first stage. So this game is perfect for those wanting a trip down memory lane, with a great side-scrolling slash map as well. So Cyber Shadow was developed by Arne Hanzika, and is available for PlayStation 4 and 5, PC, Linux, Nintendo Switch, Mac, and also Xbox One as well. And, crucially, it's also available on Xbox Game Pass. Well, next up today, we've got Inscription. So Inscription is a creepy card game, where sometimes the cards talk back, and you've got to try and find your way out of the prisoner predicament that you find yourself in. So at the heart of the game, this is an animal-based card game, and it's your job to inflict enough damage on your opponent before they do the same to you. So lose more than twice and you'll get strangled. So after a few hours of play, the game starts to open up and make much more sense as you get to grips with the cards and how they interact with each other. So as you play, new elements open up on the map, and you've got surprising story elements, they will appear too but try and avoid spoilers and experience it for yourself if you can. So Inscription was developed by Daniel Mullins Games. It's available on PC, Mac, Linux, plus there's a free demo on Steam if you want to give it a try for no cost. Well, next we've got Overboard. So Overboard is a kind of murder mystery, and the game starts off with you playing as Veronica, who throws her husband overboard, and you spend the rest of the game trying to pin the murder on someone else. Well, the game is part 2D puzzle game and also an interactive story, and there's a whole load of narrative choice in the game, plus the writing is sharp as a knife and very, very funny. Overboard is great fun, it's easy to get into and instantly memorable. You know, it is an inkle game, so you will be reading a fair bit. However, it's well worth it for the sheer quality of the writing, backed up with the fantastic design and the audio as well. So Overboard was developed by Inkle Studios and is available for iOS, Android and also Nintendo Switch. Well, next up, we got Death's Door. So Death's Door is an isometric Zelda-like with elements of the Souls genre, plus there's plenty of secrets to discover as well. So you play as a small crow working for the Reaper Commission by harvesting the souls of the living. So the controls are tight, the gameplay is fun and varied, plus the game looks and sounds great as well. The puzzles work really well and strike a really good balance of difficulty, and the only real drawback of the game is the incentive to go back and play it again due to the lack and the variety of the loot. Well, Death Door is developed by Acid Nerve and it's available on PlayStation 4, 5, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, Xbox Series S Next, and also on the PC too. And finally today, this is the best game I reckon you should play and maybe have missed this year, and this is Before Your Eyes. So Before Your Eyes is a narrative adventure with a different... Instead of using a mouse or a controller, you blink to control the game with your webcam. So the mechanic is more than just a novelty, in a powerful narrative game, it's going to take you on a roller coaster of emotions. You know, much of the game is lean back style and watch the narrative play out. However, when you blink, time will jump forward. So maybe it's a day or a week or even years forward. So the game does require a webcam to be set up to register the blinks, but this is really easy to do and it works surprisingly well. 
So if playing with a webcam doesn't sound like it's for you, then there's good news. It can be played with a more traditional input method, like a mouse and a keyboard. So before your eyes is a really well put together game that innovates in its controls and tells a very touching and personal story throughout the narrative. It's not too long, it's very memorable and a unique little gem that's worth checking out. And Before Your Eyes was developed by Goodbye World Games and it's available on the PC and the Mac. Well that is it for a look at 10 games that you may have missed in 2021 and hopefully there's some good ideas in there for you to try out before the end of the year. Well that was a little bit looking back but next up we're going to look ahead and this one is a game coming out in February 2022. Looks really really good and this one is Sifu. Well, Sifu caught my attention as the first trailer was shown back in February 2021. This is a close quarter fighting game, and it looks like a video game equivalent of movies like Ip Man, Drunken Master, and The Raid. So if you're a big fan of Kung Fu and other similar fighting styles, then you may want to pay attention to the upcoming Sifu. Sifu has been developed by Slowclap, who were the brains behind another fighting sim called Absolver. So whereas Absolver was more about multiplayer fighting, Sifu looks more like a single player game where you take on a series of enemies. So the initial trailer had me sitting up in my chair, given the main protagonist was fighting nearly 10 enemies in a corridor just with his bare hands. In Sifu, you play as a young kung fu student on the hunt for the murderers of his family, and the game is set in a fictional Chinese city and it's your job to track down and kill the members of the gang behind the gruesome crimes against your family. There's a variety of settings, including wide-open streets filled with people, you've got corporate towers, and also claustrophobic corridors as well. Well, there's also a mystical feature to the game, so you've got a magical pendant around your neck, and this protects you from death. However, there is a significant cost attached to the pendant. You may live after brutal fights, but you age rapidly, so every time you die, you get older, but also wiser too, unlocking new abilities as you age. At its core, Sifu is a 3D brawler where you've got to battle enemies with your bare hands, feet, plus you've got a bunch of weapons to play with as well. Players can interact with the environment to create weapons too, like bottles and also pieces of wood, but the most deadly weapons in the game are probably your fists. Sifu is all about positioning, timing and understanding your environment. For example, players can push enemies downstairs off the top of high buildings and understanding where you are and how you can use the environment to your benefit in the fight is definitely going to be key to making it out in one piece. Well, the game is heavily inspired by martial arts cinema and a developer Slowcap has cited Jackie Chan, The Prodigal Son and The Raid as direct inspirations for the game. So if you like these movies, it's definitely worth checking out Sifu. So Felix from Slowclap described the Kung Fu combat on PlayStation blog recently so he said, building on our experience working on martial arts gameplay with Absolver, but focusing this time on a single player game, we wanted with Sifu to offer a unique player experience, heavily drawing from Kung Fu and the martial arts movies. Fighting villains by the dozen in a nightclub, jumping over tables and throwing bottles, we want the player to feel like the main characters in a Kung Fu movie. Well, in terms of the design, it meant for us striking the balance between credibility, realistic combat techniques, faithful animations and aesthetics, with crisp action and immersive camera framings. And with Sifu, we wanted to mix the aesthetics of classic Kung Fu movies and a raw close quarters combat found in modern movies, such as The Raid, Old Boy, or John Wick. Well, the combat system draws from these different inspirations, 
And we want the gameplay to offer a consistent challenge with the Kung Fu values of training and self-improvement. And we want players to experience a progression to feel like they're learning Kung Fu, improving and progressively earning their power fantasy. And we design what we call the structure system to emulate the real combat notion of impacting and breaking the stance of your opponent, his ability to attack and defend himself, and it takes the form of a gauge for both you and your enemies. And if you manage to break your opponent's structure, you'll be able to finish them with a powerful takedown, which is the opportunity to display the devastating techniques of the pac May. But if your own structure gauge is filled, you'll be unable to fight and defend yourself for a short duration, and you'll find yourself vulnerable to your enemy's attacks. Well, blocking attacks will quickly fill your balance gauge, and we've given the players a few more flexible defensive options. So dodges will allow you to create space at key times and can be lifesavers, but more importantly, parrying hits at the right time will let you deflect the blow, unbalancing your opponent and opening opportunities to counter-attack or throw them down. You can also avoid blows altogether by ducking under or jumping over incoming strikes, and it's particularly useful against strong hits that you can't parry or to quickly recover balance and strike back against your opponent. Well, the player will start with an offensive kit and be able to deal with any opposition, but it will take you some time to learn the different properties of the techniques available to you. So you can mix strong and fast attacks to build combos on a single enemy or going from one opponent to the other. As you progress and unlock new skills, you'll have more options available to fit your playstyle on how you like to approach challenging situations. And you'll be able to knock your enemies down, push them back into their allies, stun them or disarm the threatening foe. It will be particularly useful as you start fighting more and more opponents at the same time. Well, fights against multiple enemies are at the heart of Sifu's gameplay experience. We aimed at finding the right balance between having the player feel surrounded and challenged, but not overwhelming by the amount of aggression coming at the same time. So we've chosen to use a dynamic lot system for the camera, allowing for quick and responsive swapping between multiple targets, and we've worked on optimising the game to ensure a stable 60 frames per second on PlayStation 4, as well as the PS4 Pro and the PS5, of course, to provide a smooth and reactive experience. We want combat to feel like a back-and-forth motion, with enemies forcing the players to react, to use a variety of crowd control techniques and good positioning to prevail. Besides relying on the favourite Pac-May techniques, players will have to make clever use of the environment to overcome the unfavourable odds they will be facing. So we've introduced usable elements to all combat situations, be it furniture you can toss at your enemies' feet, throwable items, makeshift weapons or tables that you can leap across. They add options for the player who are free to approach a given situation from many different angles. Well, Sifu looks absolutely fantastic, and I recommend checking out a trailer or two, and this one is going to be available on PS4, PS5 and PC when it releases on February the 8th, 2022. Well, that is it for my look ahead at Sifu. Looks absolutely fantastic. But next up, let's have a look at Bungie's 30th anniversary and the celebration inside Destiny 2 this week. So Bungie celebrated their 30th anniversary this week and the party is inside Destiny 2 with a new season-sized piece of content. You can either play for three or pay for some added extras. So we've got a new dungeon, a new six-person activity, loads of loot from past Bungie games, including iconic weapons from Halo, plus other secrets too. So, so today I'm going to round up my first impressions of the event. Well, Bungie has been creating games for 30 years, including Myth, Marathon, Halo, and of course, Destiny. So Bungie hit the big time with Halo back in 2001, when it was launched on the original Xbox, and Bungie would go on to make five Halo games, including Combat Evolved 2, 3, ODST, 
and Halo Reach, and then Bungie split from their partnership with Microsoft, leading them into the open arms of Activision, and then in 2014 they released their original Destiny, and followed that up in 2017 with Destiny 2. Well, the 30th anniversary event is a celebration of Bungie's games over the years, and we start with the Dares of Eternity. So this is a new six-person activity, which follows the format of a game show hosted by Zur. Well, Zur is our trusty agent of the nine who's been visiting Destiny at the weekends for seven years, giving us exotic and legendary loot. And now we have to run through the Dares of Eternity to earn our own loot. Well, Dares of Eternity operates in multiple stages where we've got to spin a wheel to determine which enemy race we're going to fight, and the mechanics are varied. There's champions, and there's also a good variety in the activity. Really, really good fun, injected by Zur's great voice lines. You know, so far, I'm absolutely loving it, and it's really, really rewarding as well. There's also a jumping puzzle which navigated successfully, and you'll gain a buff. If you do well in your encounters, you'll have a chance for a bonus round at the end, which ultimately leads to even more loot. We're talking about the loot for this activity. We've got a bunch of legacy Bungie-themed weapons, and that includes the battle rifle from Halo. Actually, loads of weapons from Halo, including the energy sword, the carbine, and also the shotgun from Marathon. There's also a surprise exotic quest, including the free-to-play track for Forerunner, which is an exotic sidearm based on the Magnum pistol from Halo. And Halo is never directly mentioned in the game, however it's really heavily referenced, not only in the weapons, but in the ornaments too. And the interesting and strange element here is Star Horse. That is correct, we've got a Star Horse. So Zur is accompanied by a mysterious horse in Eternity, and he's asking us constantly to impress the horse through our feats of endurance and combat. So we've got the setting is Eternity, and apparently... The horse is able to travel through space and time and dimensions, which explains why all the loot has come together. So at the end of Dares of Eternity, we earn keys, and we can open up treasure chests in Zur's treasure hoard. Essentially, we run the Dares of Eternity, collect strange coins and keys, open chests, and get loot. And the activity is really rewarding, plus the addition of the exotic quest is great to see. Well, the other main component of the content drop is the Grasp of Avarice Dungeon. So this is a three-person activity, and a similar size and scope to the other dungeons in the game, which are light mini-raids. The mechanics aren't too complex, and the power level requirements aren't really that crazy, but they are light mini-raids, and they offer really unique loot. Well, Grasp of Avarice is pirate-themed, which makes sense since the Fallen are based on pirates, and it's set in the original loot cave based on the Cosmodrome. So this was a cave in Destiny 1 that players would shoot infinitely spawning enemies and gather a bunch of loot before it was patched. Plenty of pl and plenty of players would spend hours and hours in front of the loot cave mindlessly killing enemies to gather the loot before the patch, and this whole thing is an homage to that. In fact, to enter the dungeon, we have to go into the same cave, destroy a salt crystal in there to open up the entrance. You know what follows is a great dungeon experience with traps, boss battles, there's even a sparrow race in the middle, followed by some complex-ish mechanics, and the boss battles are really fun, and my only piece of real criticism is it's quite long, and it takes quite a lot of time to get through. However, I'm sure speedrunning strats are being devised as we speak. Well, the loot from the dungeon is an assortment of Destiny 1 weapons, plus some brand new Thorn armor, which looks very, very cool indeed. So from D1, we've got the Matador 64, the 1,000-yard stair, Ias Luna, the Hero of Ages sword, and I think that last one is from Myth. I managed to bag myself some good Thorn armor, as well as all the weapons except the one I wanted, and that is the Ias Luna. But no bother, I'm definitely going to run it again next week. Well, the Galahorn is also back, and this is an exotic rocket launcher from Destiny 1, perhaps one of the most overpowered weapons in all of video games. And it's back, and it's in Destiny 2 for the first time, 
and Zur originally sold this in week two of Destiny 1, and the joke is that no one wanted to buy it, so they didn't think it would be very powerful, only to find out later it was clearly the most powerful weapon in the game, and everyone either missed on it or passed on it, saving their currency for something else, and Galahorn would go on to dominate the meta in Destiny 1 to the point where raid groups would require Galahorn, and the good news is it's just as powerful today, if not more powerful, when you get that catalyst. Well, the 30th anniversary pack is really, really fun, and has great loot and the core activities are really, really good. So I really like the dungeon, I've run it on each of my guardians so far, and also the Dares of Eternity is great too, it's got a good humour, and it's great to see Zur get more involved. There was some backlash about paying for the event, but I think you could easily get by on the free mode. You know, the Halo weapons are fantastic, and the whole event is a fantastic celebration of the history of Bungie. I would say if you got the money, I'd recommend buying the pack, as Galahorn and the dungeon are really, really, really good fun. Well, that is it for my first impressions of the 30th anniversary pack from Bungie. So really, really good stuff. But next up, let's see what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. Well, in the next few weeks, we haven't got too many games coming out because it is going to be Christmas over the next couple of weeks. So first of all, on the 13th, we've got Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon coming on PS4, Switch and PC. Then on the 14th, we've got a few games. So we've got Among Us. It's coming on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4 and Xbox One. We've got the Smurfs, Mission Violith Smurftastic Edition coming on PlayStation 5. But then on the 16th, we've got Alien Isolation. That's coming out on iOS and Android. Also on the 16th, we've got a few more games. Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrade. We've got Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach. That's PS5, PlayStation 4 and PC. And then finally, we've got The Gunk. That's coming out on Xbox Series S next, Xbox One and PC. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, do get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. And as always, thank you so much for watching or for listening. And for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe on YouTube and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description. And you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVGPodcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon.